Hey, it's your host, Brittany, and welcome to the Mom Sweat Sanity Podcast, where we talk all things life, health, fitness, kids, relationships, you name it, nothing is off the table. A little bit of just me and a whole lot of knowledgeable guests. So throw on your Lulus to run or to mom, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and join us as we unpack life's pressing topics and learn a little bit more of the who, what, whys of it all. Or at the very least, get real, share some wisdom, and grab practical tips to help in our daily lives. I started learning about our toxin load, and it first started with swapping some clean products around my home. So what am I, what am I cleaning with? The food I'm eating, what I should be eating organic, what doesn't really matter, you know. And then what really surprised me was when I started learning about the impact of what we're putting on our bodies. So the same, the same way that what, what we eat matters, what we put on our body matters too. How much thought do you give to your skincare routine? To the chemicals that we put on our skin daily, how much of that gets absorbed into our body? Have you heard of something called a toxin load? Listen in as Jen explains it all to us and the things that we should watch out for, completely avoid, and maybe the new products that we should really consider using in our daily routines. Today, I am here with Jen. I am super excited to learn all things beauty, toxins, how they affect hormones, et cetera, et cetera. So I am going to let Jen just take it away and give a little introduction of herself. Thank you, Brittany. Very excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me. And congratulations on your podcast. I can't wait to learn a lot with all the different guests that you have bit of an overview of who I am and, and what I do. So I'm a mom, wife, friend. I'm an enthusiast for all things well-being and personal growth. I'm a bit of a feminist and a budding advocate. And that's all about releasing fear of judgment and recognizing my own personal power. I think a lot of us can relate to that. I wear a suit by day and I'm in a career in real estate related to international trade. I'm a senior real estate lead and I work on the delivery of land and property rights required to advance ports, major infrastructure projects. So while that's fulfilling and it's interesting work, it's also very corporate and specialized. And my education is really around, I've done urban land economics and commercial real estate with some marketing. So that said, everything we talk about here, I am not a doctor. And I'll just slide in a little disclaimer that I encourage you to do your own research and follow up if you'd like. How did I get to being interested in this? I've always loved writing beautiful words and, and photos. And for years, I wanted to start a blog or to write and then always kept putting it off. So what I really liked about the intro in your intro podcast is that you acknowledged the imposter syndrome. And I just wanted to thank you for talking about that because so many of us can relate. And that's exactly what held me back for years from ever starting to explore and share publicly and also not having the time to make it perfect. So those are two things that really held me back. But then when I started to do more research and get over that, I took the plunge. And some of the quotes I think that I really liked were imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. I don't know if you've heard that one before. I think it's I very love true. that one. Very yes. Mm -hmm. So good, right? Oh, Mary Oliver, she is such an excellent writer. What will you do with this one wild and precious life is just a small excerpt from one of her longer ones. And then the other one, jump and you will find out how you unfold your wings as you fall. So just do it. 
just start. Just <laughs> so, do it. Yeah, that's yeah. another one. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. <laughs> so that's how that's how it started. And in March, I just right before the pandemic started a blog and a social media account specific to the things that I was exploring outside of all of that daily corporate work life stuff. And it was a place to document my journey and help reach others in everything I was learning about hormone health, adrenal fatigue, fertility, getting pregnant, recurrent miscarriage, being a mom, my experience with postpartum anxiety, insomnia, and what worked for me working through those struggles. And so yeah, just starting and I've just been letting it all evolve and I'm excited to see where it goes. Amazing. I am so happy that you allowed the imposter syndrome to be pushed aside so that you can delve into this whole new side of passion and interest and awareness for others also. So I'm really excited to hear your journey. So you mentioned your experience with hormone health and infertility do you feel that these were two in the same or Mm -hmm. was it uh, as you're kind of teaching me as we go along here, like a toxin load in our body? Are you seeing anything similar in those aspects? I think that it's one component of, of many things. So my exploration of toxin load and the reason why I've gone down this road of searching for a cleaner way of living. Yes, it started with my own hormone health. And so I did experience a miscarriage before I had my daughter. Before I even got pregnant with her, it was hard to get pregnant. I was on birth control for 17 years. I smoked cigarettes as a teenager and, you know, did a lot of other things that I regret now. And I wish I knew better then, like most of us. And yeah, so through that exploration, I learned a lot through my own, my doctors, my other medical practitioners. So I delved into holistic medicine. And I guess through that, started learning about our toxin load. And it first started with swapping some clean products around my home. So what am I, what am I cleaning with? The food I'm eating, what I should be eating organic, what doesn't really matter, you know, And then what really surprised me was when I started learning about the impact of what we're putting on our bodies. So the same, the same way that what what we eat matters, what we put on our body matters too. And the connection between what we're putting on our bodies and the chemicals, the ingredients that are in some of those products, the impact that they have on our hormones. So a lot of the, not all chemicals are bad. Water is a chemical, for example, but you know we want to use safe chemicals, ones that aren't hormone disruptors. So what, what does toxin load mean and how does that end up affecting us? So semantics would argue that almost everything is a chemical. So like I said, even water is a chemical. So the goal isn't to live a totally chemical-free life, but there are realities around how toxicity builds up in our bodies. And I'm a believer in both Western and holistic medicine. I fully respect science and it has to be well-sourced, peer-reviewed science. So they say that naturopaths and holistic medicine, they look deeper into root causes and heal from that perspective rather than just medicating symptoms. And I've also heard lots in the past about how medicine is further behind holistic medicine in that regard. So two examples, I can think of two examples. I've experienced firsthand one that comes to mind is when I was being treated for recurrent miscarriage. And initially, my thyroid labs appeared to be within the normal range. 
And it was actually my naturopath that picked up on these elevated levels, even though they were considered normal by Western practice. So not long afterwards, my doctor then agreed that the range was narrowed. So Western medicine, in my experience, they come around to what holistic medicine has found. So all of these studies that are coming out, there's a lot of controversy around what is a toxin and what's toxin load. But another example of where this has happened with me is my daughter was actually my third pregnancy and I continued to see my naturopath and doctor for conventional and holistic treatments throughout that pregnancy. She was born early. She was premature, but the pregnancy was a success and I took progesterone the whole way through. And I had asked my doctor about whether or not I should take progesterone. My levels were indicated to be low by my naturopath. She just completely shrugged it off. But then after my daughter was born prematurely and I went for my prenatal checkup, postnatal checkup, sorry, he mentioned that I should go on progesterone for my next pregnancy. So I've had enough personal experience to indicate to me that it's worthwhile being your own advocate, first of all, and there's something to be said for this holistic research that's coming out. So we had a conversation recently with another lady and we were having the same conversation about being your own advocate and how yes. we are the only ones that live within our body and we know best how we are feeling. And mm-hmm. so getting those second, third, fourth opinions and making sure that you advocate for how you feel is the only way that you're going to get the results in the end that you feel are right. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And doing your own research and not letting someone say, oh, no, we don't believe in that. There's not enough evidence to support it. And that I think is a key. So when they say that toxic load is just something that holistic practitioners throw around, that there's no evidence to support it, that really holds no bearing for me. My favorite resource for well-sourced peer reviewed information is the Environmental Working Group. It's kind of a one-stop shop for curated data. So that's a really good place to check for your own information. There's a bunch of other ones too, but that's just a really easy one-stop shop. And according to the information found there, toxic load refers to the accumulation of toxins and chemicals in our bodies that we ingest from the environment, the food we eat, the water we drink, the personal care and household products we use. And humans, we, we have four major organs that help our bodies eliminate these harmful chemicals. And physiologically speaking, assuming otherwise good health, those four organs do their job to expel those toxins. But we know that toxins in the body were exposed to more and increasing amounts, and they've been linked to cancer, neurocognitive disorders, mental health issues, and hormone disruption, which is actually the biggest one for me. And as environmental toxin exposure increases, so do the incidence of these health issues. So you're getting the theme here that hormone disruption factor is my main interest and motivation to clean up our food in our home, the products I use, and my personal care regime. And our hormone system, our endocrine system is actually what it's called, is such a delicate system that when it's thrown off, it can have a really detrimental effect. And it's also the first system in the body that shuts off when things are off balance. So that's why when they say optimal fertility is optimal health, whether you're having babies or not. And then the other thing about hormone disruption is that it can alter your mood, skin, muscle mass, fertility, libido, your immune system, your cognitive function. So it's highly, everything is connected. And this is a highly simplified explanation to a really complicated and important issue, but I'll try to get into it 
briefly. So Canada has a guidance document and the CDC reports on studies that indicate what a safe dose of toxic chemicals is in our personal care products. So then, then what is a safe dose? Almost everything that we consume relies on this idea of a safe dose, whether we're talking about lead and lipstick, and by the way, the FDA says low levels of FDA is okay, or common preservatives like parabens that are legally permitted because of the safe dose, but they're also known hormone disruptors and carcinogens. So therefore the quantity of the toxic chemicals shouldn't pose a problem according to this safe dose. So the issue with this way of assessing the problem is it doesn't consider bioaccumulation. So we're not just exposed to this once. We're talking about multiple daily exposures. So the adding up of toxins is called bioaccumulation. And our bodies are incredible. We know that they do their work to expel toxins, skin blocks entry, coughs expel intruders. We've got our bowels, we've got our kidneys and our liver, and they deal with the waste. But what happens when the body absorbs toxins faster than we can expel them? And then what Especially do you do when we're using them day after day and multiple times a day, as you said? And so yes. how, how much is that actually accumulating in our bodies? Yes, exactly. So if the study is done on a safe dose, but we're putting on lotion, then we're using a serum and we're putting on face cream, we're putting on makeup and sunscreen is another one. So exactly. How does that affect our bodies? So there's an interesting study out there actually out of Berkeley where a teenage girl takes, she takes a three-day break from personal care products containing parabens, phthalates, and other chemicals of concern. And then after just three days, the levels of all of those chemicals of concern dropped in the girl's urine samples by 45%. Some chemicals, of course, store differently and they don't expel as quickly, such as lead and heavy metals, and they're not as easy to get rid of. But this tells us that accumulation matters. So even a small change in swapping out some of your personal care products showed a significant benefit in this study. And that was really important for me to understand. I think that helped me. It's not a full life change of, of everything all at once, but these small choices where we have the opportunity to make that choice matter. I think and then, that shows that it is doable, right? Like when we're thinking of things like this, it's like, oh my gosh, do I have to like clear out every closet and every cabinet and like start fresh right now with everything that's yeah. so unmotivating and so unrealistic all the same time. Yeah. So yeah. to be able to know that I can make a few subtle changes that will make a difference. That's exactly, so yeah. refreshing. <laughs> yeah. And then it's a journey over time and you're gradually making better choices. The same way you do with your diet. I compare it to my diet all the time. And if my diet is like I don't know, say it's 80, 20, I'm still going to drink wine. I'm still going to eat chocolate. I love sugar. And I know I'm talking to you as an athlete and I try to stay healthy and eat organic foods, but I'm also going to splurge sometimes. So I think that that's a better philosophy and it's less overwhelming and you're still overall making a difference. And it's realistic, I think, for a lot of people to be able to do that as well. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. So some of the things that I've learned along the way about helping our liver and kidneys and our bodies with this detox process is preventing the buildup and strengthening optimal function. So some things I've learned from my naturopath and from reading is, of course, get lots of greens, drink water, monitor your nutrient intake. And then I spent a lot of time with a nutritionist and a naturopath on a very specialized protocol because I had, I had adrenal fatigue, I had insomnia, I had postpartum anxiety, and all of those things really helped. 
And then the other thing is, of course, reducing the exposure. And there's enough studies out there that show that the stuff that we put on our body goes into it and can enter the bloodstream. So I really believe that where we have the opportunity to choose better products, whether it be for personal care or household cleaning, then why not? Why wouldn't we? We should. Exercising is great. Sweating it out using an infrared sauna is another way. So I feel a bit of a trend here with the products that you're now choosing to use. Is this how you found yourself into the world of beauty counter and all that they have to offer? Yes, it absolutely is. (laughs) Good segue. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. In my journey to find clean products that perform, like I am a Sephora convert. I loved everything Sephora. I like to feel and look good. I like to do myself up, not every day, but sometimes. And so, yes, I was on the hunt for clean products that perform. And then I stumbled across Beauty Counter. And what really got me interested, though, is their advocacy work. Beauty Counter started lobbying to Parliament for reform of the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, which is known as CEPA, and to Congress in the U.S. for the Natural Cosmetics Act. And their voice is getting louder and louder. And they meet every year with Parliament and Congress. And recently, you may have heard some changes happening in the state of California. It acknowledges the importance of reducing our exposure and to protect the consumer. So beauty counters asks are that they codify something called the Canadian hot list and make it legally enforceable, require companies to list all ingredients hidden under this umbrella called fragrance for a complete ban on entire classes of chemicals like phthalates to ensure that manufacturers don't just switch to an alternative one, require regular testing of heavy metals in color cosmetics and guaranteed equal protection for those disproportionately exposed and most notably these are women of color and then the other thing that they're asking for is for natural to be defined so that consumers have some confidence in in what that actually means is you can go to the store and something can say be marketed as natural or toxin free and there's no regulation behind that we don't know we don't know what that actually means and they can say whatever they want. So that got me. And the fact that Beauty Counter regularly screens its products for safety, it does excellent corporate social responsibility work. They have cruelty-free, they offer vegan products, and they have something called, they call a never list. So they never use more than 1,800 chemicals that are completely banned from their products. They're transparent. And so that's an easy choice for me when I don't feel like dissecting an ingredient label. It's easy and it's, it gives me the peace of mind. Absolutely. And that's what you want too. Like, I'm just looking at all of the things that I use daily and, and wondering, okay, is this safe? What is in this? And just because, yeah, it says organic or because it says fragrance free. Now you're saying it's probably likely not that great. <laughs> yeah. And how do you know? So the, the environmental working group also has a database and you can actually plug in a lot of the products and it'll tell you exactly what's in it and how it's rated. So I use that a lot. If I'm not buying something from beauty counter or if I want to know what I have in my closet, like something that was purchased before I got into all of this. So that's a really good place to start, but it is, it is overwhelming to have to read an ingredient. (laughs) It definitely is. Absolutely. Why do you think that the industry is so unregulated? So that's another good segue into another topic that I I wanted to talk about. And this is, I was floored when I started doing the research into this and learning about it because I had always assumed that if it's on a shelf, it's it's safe. 
and it's been tested and I had confidence behind that, but I obviously didn't know. So I think one of the things that I keep seeing, which I actually really, I really like is instead of rolling your eyes and questioning why safer products and organic foods are so expensive, perhaps we should be looking at why toxic products and processed foods are so cheap. And I love that because it's so true. And I think that's like, that's what this is all about. So I sat in on a meeting earlier this year with members of parliament and Congress. So this was representatives to discuss the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, which is SEPA, and the Natural Cosmetics Act in the USA. And this was an, an excellent eye-opener. It was tangible, it was right in front of me, and I heard this conversation happening. Hearing from government representatives, environmental toxicologists, doctors on the issues that we have with regulation in the personal care product industry. What the issue is, is that we work within an innocent until proven guilty model. So these chemicals that mimic estrogen, they affect our, our hormone signaling system, something so benign as makeup uses the same chemicals as biowarfare. And that was actually what one of the representatives said in the meeting. And so the issue is, is that we don't really know how bad something is for us until it's been around for long enough for it to be proven that it is bad for us. So it's totally backwards. For example, talc. Consumers didn't know that talc caused ovarian cancer and there was no label around the risk of ovarian cancer. But there's been evidence connecting talc to ovarian cancer since the 1980s. And that you can still buy that. Yes, exactly. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? Yeah. So the FDA works really well for drugs and mechanics, but not so well for cosmetics. <laughs> the legislation is one and a half pages long, and it hasn't been updated since 1936. SEPA governs chemicals and toxins in Canada, and it's also more than 20 years old. So... I think one of the issues that I heard from, especially during this meeting, and I've heard come up before, is that every time changes are proposed, the industry fights back and they say that they'll do a better job of regulating themselves. So the problem here, though, is obviously conflict of interest. It's a for-profit company, and the cosmetic industry is worth billions of dollars. The other issue that I just was floored by is that companies don't have to test if they don't want to. It's not a requirement for manufacturers to test their products. I mean, of course, it's in their best interest too, but yeah, there is no pre-market testing by SEPA or, or the FDA for safety before these products hit the shelves. Wow. Mm -hmm. So something um, that we use and put onto our bodies that you have just said also is absorbed into our system, <laughs> just like food is unregulated. Yeah. It's scary. scary. I didn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Scary reality. <laughs> yes, this is scary reality. There is regulation around medicinal or active ingredients. So something like an SPF, like that has to go through the approval process, but cosmetics don't. There's no safety or approval process for personal care products. SEPA regulates ingredients. And as I said, they're so far behind in the, in the data and their ingredient guidelines and chemical safety information is more than 20 years old. That's so crazy. I know. I know as a family, well, my daughter and I, we sat down not too long ago and watched that Netflix, I guess, documentary on yeah. the makeup industry and all the things that can go into makeup and the makeup that you buy on Amazon, for an example, you don't even know where that's coming from. And the disgusting yeah. things that can be within that are yeah. very eye-openingly scary. And when they start doing, if they do a, a test on what is actually in that stuff, in the cosmetic or personal care product, like an eyeshadow or something, lead, formaldehyde, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, I know. You're putting on your face right by your eyes. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. There was another study on lipsticks and I think it was like 400 lipsticks that they studied and they found lead in almost all of them. And, you know, that's on your mouth and you're ingesting it. And then the other issue I was going to talk about here too, was that because the, the U S regulations for the FDA were based in 1936 to 1938, their mercury level, acceptable mercury level is so it's so high I think it was like 65 PP is what it is. Super, super high. So that means that technically that's still the legally allowable level for mercury with, from 1936. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Yeah. Currently, Canadian regulation of the beauty industry comprises, they have a partial ban on 600 chemicals for use in cosmetics and personal care products. So this means that some are prohibited and some are restricted for use. And that's what's known as the hot list. And that's what Beauty Counter is asking to be codified and made legally enforceable. And then we just talked about this. So the U.S., they had banned 30. And this includes the original 11 that were banned in 1938. Mercury is on that list and it's banned at all levels above 65 ppm. So that's super high. And that means that mercury is still allowed in products at all levels below this. Wow. That's just disturbing. (laughs) So comparatively, EU law, they ban the use of more than 1400 chemicals. And the EU also requires that manufacturers do the testing before use. So this has me wondering, why aren't we doing the same? If Canada claims to be a progressive nation, then why why aren't we doing this too? Absolutely. And we need more advocacy. Yeah. So exactly. And the momentum and the demand for clean beauty is, is growing for sure. As more people become educated, more studies are coming out and yeah, it's become a bit of a trend and there is controversy around it, but the more people start demanding this, then the more we're going to see change and manufacturers are going to start because it's all about you vote with your, with your wallet. So if people are, are buying more clean products, then they're going to be making more of them. Uh, this does lead to another issue though of greenwashing and we need to be very careful about that because there needs, this is the reason for the ag- advocacy, there needs to be better regulation and more enforcement around how we put these things on the shelves so that a manufacturer can't just say something is natural or organic and it's safe and that a consumer has confidence in what they're purchasing when it says organic or natural actually is and what it actually means. And is it because like these chemicals, like actors as a filler and they're cheap? Like why do these chemicals even have to be in the skincare, in the beauty care? It's a really good question. Yes. Parabens, they're preservative. So they'll keep the shelf life for longer. That's one reason to use a paraben, but there are alternatives and it's more costly. So Mm. back to cost. Are there a dirty dozen type of list that we should be avoiding at all costs? Is there something like that in the beauty industry, such as in the food industry that we hear, you know, avoid this, make sure it's organic or just don't buy. Are there things like that in the beauty industry? Yes. And that was one of the first things that I was looking for as well. It is a bit tricky because the chemicals will have different names. So something that if it's labeled on the ingredient label, it might look a little bit different, but generally speaking, there's, Clean 15 and a dirty dozen that I sort of abide by. There's so many more than that, but that's just an easy way to look at it. Number one is fragrance. So fragrance 
if you see that or perfume as an ingredient on the label, it is an umbrella of a bunch of different chemicals, up to 3,000 chemicals, and it's a loophole. So it's a trade secret where manufacturers don't even have to disclose what those ingredients are. So I stay away from anything that has fragrance in it. I stopped wearing perfume. I actually watched a a video of someone spraying perfume on weeds <laughs> and then within 24 hours they were dead and then doing some more research into what what is actually under that umbrella of fragrance and some of the top ones would be a th- phthalate and a paraben fragrance is, is definitely one of the most well known for being a hormone disruptor and if you're looking for more information on certain ingredients i would direct you to the environmental working groups website because They have a ton of information on studies. They've got a database of all of these ingredients. You can plug in your product or the ingredient individually and find out about it. They also have a list on there that is Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. And I did a post about it. There's a link on my, a post on my Instagram. Perfect. Okay. We will definitely link that over. Where should I begin? Like, what are the first few things that you began shifting back in March when you Mm -hmm. moved over to the beauty counter clean Mm -hmm. products? So the first things that I would I would start swapping out is anything that you're applying to your skin. So and especially daily or multiple times a day, your lotion. So my body lotion and my my creams and my serums, my makeup, I would start with all of those things. I would start if you're starting with a makeup, like your foundation and your color cosmetics are known to contain heavy metals as well. So I would start swapping those over and then what you put on your lips. So my lipstick was a, a quick one that I switched over to. Well, those are easy enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you say I don't wear that much makeup. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know I went for six months without wearing hardly any either and was forgetting how to put it on. <laughs> and your body must have really liked you for those six months too, right? Allowing it, was- it to actually do a deep clean. Quarantine. Nobody's seeing you. The other thing that I really love about cleaner products is that it's actually good for you. There's a lot of really good ingredients, like for example, hyaluronic acid in your foundation, and then none of the bad stuff. So you're actually doing your skin a favor when you're using that kind of a product rather than, you know, the old foundation that I used to use, which is just clogging up all of my pores while I'm wearing it all day. So thank you so much for all of this information today. There's so much to leave here with and definitely more to learn. And I will be logging on to those those links that you said and comparing a whole bunch of my products, which I have yeah, a feeling are going to land in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so where can everyone find you? So I'm at this.beautiful.life.collective on Instagram and I have a blog and it is almost up and running uh, under the same tag name. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook is coming as well. And Pinterest is coming too. Yay. all the things all the all things, the things. Yeah. well I'm excited to find you there and continue following along I love all of your tips that you give on Instagram and the stories you're just so resourceful so oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much. thank you so much thank you for coming on today and informing me and I hope that everyone else gets as much knowledge out of this one as I did and yes. I am definitely going to be filling my cart on beauty counter and getting thank maybe you so much adding a few new things to the stocking (laughs) well you know where to find me and I'm happy to help with any recommendations if you need them thank you really appreciate it
Well, that was definitely an eye-opening episode for me. I hope that it was for you as well. I could not wait to jump on to some of those links that Jen referred us to and uploaded all of the products that I use daily in my skincare routine. I will definitely be saying I am going to be switching over some of my products right away. And my other point of contention would be fragrance. I love a good perfume, but maybe I should take the 80-20 rule under advisement to that one and consider using my perfume for days out or date nights with my husband or something a little less than daily. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it. See you next week. You can find me on Instagram at MomSweatSam.com.